I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to today look at the majesty of God as I begin a series, the title of which is Believe This. I'm concerned with you, that is the people of our church, knowing the basics of the Bible and the basics of Bible doctrine. Catholics send their children through catechism. Other religions and other denominations of the Christian faith have something like that as well to make sure that the young people and all of the people of the church know what they believe. We Baptists, and this is a general statement, and it's a generally true statement, we Baptists are a little weak in this. Now, we preach the Bible, and we believe in the Bible, and we preach the Bible as the Word of God, and we stand with it and stand on it and stand for it and stand up for it, but we have a tendency to let our kids get through their younger years and not know what they believe. And so what happens is those who don't know what they believe and should stand up for have a tendency to fall for anything. There are a lot of cults filled with Baptist. There are a lot of religions that are false religions filled with former Baptist. And there are a lot of people who sit in the pew of a church just like you're sitting in here today. And you believe good things, but you don't really know what you believe or why you believe it. I don't want to take you to seminary, but I do want to take this time from this Sunday right up until the week of Thanksgiving, which is about 10 weeks. I want to make sure that you know at least 10 of the most basic and important doctrines of the Word of God. Please don't think this is boring. It's not going to be boring. Please don't think this is, oh man, he's preaching on doctrine. Listen, if you don't get doctrine, you won't, you won't stay in your faith as you should. You've got to understand who you are, what you believe, why you believe it. Now, you're going to get a lot of important verses in this series, and I hope you write them down. I hope you are taking notes on these sermons These are 10 sermons that you really cannot afford to miss. And please remember that through YouVersion, if you use YouVersion for the Scripture on your your, uh, tablet device or a smartphone, if that's the way you follow along, then there is with YouVersion, there is um, uh, the the opportunity to take notes and then email those notes to yourself. Also, you can download the church app. You can go into your app uh, store and search for North Florida Baptist Church, and it'll give you the opportunity to download an app, and the sermons are available in that app. Then after you take sermons right there in your smartphone or on your tablet device, you can email those to your private email account, and you can have all of the verses and all of the sermons, and and it will help you in, in the future. So please do this. And so today we do begin with the majesty of God. Now here's what we believe. 
And when I say we believe, I'm talking about this church. You say, well, I don't necessarily believe this and I don't necessarily believe that. I hope that when you hear these messages, you'll come to understand your belief and the belief of this church. We believe in the triune God. That is, we believe in one God in three persons. He is three in one. It is a difficult but a powerful truth from the Word of God. Some Christians see God like the pastor. They don't see Him through the week and they don't understand Him on Sunday. A lot of people are that way. I want to see what we can do to better understand God. Exodus chapter 20 and now verse 1. And God spoke all of these things saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God is persistent about who he is and how we see him. Some people think that Allah and the God of the Bible are the same. They are not. The true and living God does not want to be mistaken for Allah any more than he wants to be mistaken for Buddha or any other false God. He is the true and living God. The God we serve is, Allah is not the God we serve by a different name. Please don't let yourself fall into that. And this is not a message about Islam or anything. This is a message about God. But to know the first thing is to know this, that there is a true and living God, and He is a unique God. He is one God. None of us like for people to get the wrong impression about who we are or what we represent. We may have gotten this sense of identity from God. He wants His people to know who He is, and He wants His people to know what He is. Now in the text, he says that we are to put him in his proper place, and we are to have no one and nothing else in a rival position to him. One of the reasons that people put God in a lower position than he deserves is because of a lack of understanding of his identity and a lack of understanding of his greatness. I'm going to tell you who God is today. I'm going to, when you walk out of this door, these doors today, you're going to say, I know who God is, because I'm going to show you from the Word of God who God is. And so I share this concerning the majesty of God. First of all, God is one. Would you say that with me? God is one. He is one God. When you hear a preacher like me speak of the true and living God, he's talking about the one God, because God is one. He is one God. 
Now we're going to see verses in this series in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament verses supported by New Testament uh, application and New Testament verses as well. Let's start with Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, what? look at this, there is no God. Besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord. And there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, the one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things and through whom we exist. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all all. There is one God. The Bible teaches that God presents Himself to us in the person of the Father, in the person of the Son, in the person of the Holy Spirit, without ever changing from being one true and living God. We're going to see about that in just a moment. Here's what we should know about the true and living God, whether you're thinking of God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. Here's what you should know about the one true and living God. First of all, He is the eternal God. Psalm 90 and verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Look at that, from everlasting to to everlasting, you are God. Now, some things in life are just incomprehensible. They are too deep or too powerful to really take in uh, our understanding. I would encourage you someday to walk outside in the middle of the day or maybe at night when there are few, very few clouds in the sky, and I would encourage you to look up into the heavens And I would encourage you to try and imagine what is up there. Seriously, try to take it in. Try to absorb how far that is and how much that is that you're seeing. It's much too much for any of us to know. I mean, we can stand there and look and look and imagine. When I was a kid, I rarely imagined beyond the clouds because I'd see images and faces in the clouds. But if you could get beyond the clouds and into the, the, the blue, the wild blue yonder, we, we sometimes call it, and try to, to comprehend it and say, all right, I think I've got it. As soon as we figure that out, we have to admit that there's something above and beyond that which we have been able to comprehend. A heavenly space that we haven't even begun to think about. We can see as far as we can see and go as far as we can go and realize that there's far more than we could ever see or any places that we could ever go. It's easier to understand the limits of space than to figure out the eternal nature of God. God has no beginning. The earth, well, it has a beginning. Mankind, you, you and me, we have beginnings. Little Julian Randall, he had a beginning. We all have 
beginnings. But God has no beginning. In fact, here's what the Bible says. In the beginning, God. So before the beginning began, there was God. God is eternal. He was before the beginning came to be. And God will be after the earth as we know it is no longer here. As the verse says, he is from everlasting to everlasting. This one creator God is the eternal God. I'd appreciate it and God would an amen. Amen? That's who he is. Let me tell you something else. This one God is the creator God. Genesis 1.1, we just referenced it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This isn't my quote. I wish it was. Sometimes I find quotes and I think, man, surely I'm smart enough to think of that. Then I come to reality and figure I have to quote somebody else, so here's one. There's no situation so chaotic that God cannot, from that situation, create something that is surprisingly good. He did it at creation, he did it at the cross, and he's doing it today. To know that God is the creator is to have a sense of accountability to him. I've had this discussion time and time. I had the discussion uh, Wednesday evening with Roger and our guest who uh, came to speak on Wednesday night. Our world has left its moorings of creationism. And our world now floats in a sea of evolvement. We float in a sea of everything is evolving like the theory of evolution. There are a lot of reasons that the morality and the character of our world is going to hell today. But at the taproot is the abandonment of the true conviction that God is our creator. If God is, look, look, there's, there's two things, there's two things that, that are just eating away at the morality of our day, the creator God and the infallibility of God. And when people give up that God is creator and that God is infallible, then they fall into the sea of drifting into uh, moral relativism. I believe in relativism. That is, I believe that I need to relate the unchanging Word of God about the unchanging God to a relatively messed up world. At the the heart of who we are and what we understand must be the appreciation of who God is. God is one. He is the eternal God. He is the creator God. He is the God of all wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. He is the all-wise God, and guess what? He'll share it with us.
Have you ever thought to yourself, how can somebody be so, and I won't use the S-T-U-P word because a lot of you, that's banned at your house. It's not banned at my house. My wife calls me. uh, But you ever thought to yourself, how can anybody be so as to believe this or think that or do this or do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they have the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of God. A huge difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. A big difference between, well, it seems to me, and thus saith the Lord. A huge difference in those two. Vance Havner said, if you lack knowledge, go to school. If you lack wisdom, get on your knees. Knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. Our one God is the eternal God, the creator God, the God of wisdom, and he is the true God. Exodus fifteen eleven, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Now, there are certainly other gods, all kinds of gods. They just aren't the true God. There are a lot of gods. I'm not denying that there are other gods. There are other gods. They're just not the true God. They will fail you. They will disappoint you. They will change on you. They will always let you down, but not the true living God. The true and living God is our one God. He is the true God. He is the living God. The psalmist said, my soul thirsts for God for the living God. God. That's a good way to think about who God is to you. He is the true and living God. He is the eternal God, the creator God, the God of wisdom, the true and the living God. That's who God is to you. When you reference God, you should reference the true and living God. God is the living God. God is the true God. Understand that. Understand who God is. There's certainly other gods, but understand he's the living God. And let me just say this before we move on. In this church, we have never, ever, and this church should never be squishy on the person or the majesty of God. He is the eternal creator God, all wise, true, and living God. There is no other true God but the Lord God, Jehovah. He is one God. Amen? Well, let me tell you this. God is one. He is also three. God is one. God is three. God comes to us in the person of the Father, of the Son, the Holy Spirit. But he never stops being the one true and living God. While God is one in person, he is three in distinction. We can talk about that a little bit. God is the Father. Here's what Jesus taught us as we were taught to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this is how I think of God generally. When I don't, I don't, 
I don't run through a, a theology lesson and, and afraid that I'm not theologically correct when I think about God. And I, okay, now I've got to think about the Father a little bit. I've got to think about the Son a little bit. I've got to think about uh, the Holy Spirit a little bit. I just think of God as the Father. I just think of Him as the Father. But I don't think of Jesus as not God. You ever heard somebody say, or have you ever said, I believe in Jesus and God? <laughs> See, when you say, I believe in Jesus and God, it has a tendency to reveal that you don't understand that Jesus is God. We begin with the understanding that God is the Father. Sometimes when I pray, I think of myself as crawling into the Father's lap. I encourage other people to do that. Think about yourself as crawling into the Father's lap and laying your head over on the Father's shoulders and talking to Him as your Father talking to him as he is close to you. I had the most wonderful experience Friday night. I went to our football game where we played uh, Child's High School and we won and our guys fought so hard and that was a good experience. But I had my grandson with me, Bradford. And on the way home, Bradford and I had a really good and I thought, this is just awesome. I hope he feels like he can just talk to me anytime. That's the way I feel about the Father. That's the way I need to feel about the Father. And you, you should too. But what if I'm ashamed to talk to him? That's when you really ought to talk to him. Because the Father is the source of forgiveness. Sometimes you can just crawl up in his lap and tell him nothing just because you want to be there and let him understand your heart's needs. When I have a need, I ask my Father, and the reason that He supplies it is because of His Son. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it you. God is three in distinction. He is He is one distinct manifestation of God. He is God, but He is the Father God. He is also God the Son. Wait a minute, so there's two gods? No, there's one God. Okay, well then, who is God the Son? He's God. Well, what about God the Father? He's God. You say, are you trying to confuse me? I'm trying to get unconfused myself. But I believe the Bible, whether I have full understanding of it or not, the Bible says that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. I've never been so presumptuous to think that I needed to figure out God. I hope you aren't either. Matthew 17, 5. He was still speaking when behold, a, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. John 5, 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Here's the one, John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. There are many other verses, but clearly see that while God is one, God is also three. He is the Father 
and he is the son. He is the one born of a virgin, living sinless on this earth, dying on the cross for our sins, rising again on the third day. He is the one who ascended up into heaven, and he is the one who is coming back to this earth again for us. God is one, and God is three. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. No, wait a minute. Isn't that the Pentecostal God? No, no. That's just God. God is three in one. God is three in one to the Baptist. God is three in one to the Pentecostals. God is three in one to the Methodists. God is three and God is one. God, the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 1 Corinthians 2.10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person who is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God's the Spirit. Here's something kind of interesting. I'll, I'll read it to you. In the Bible, the Spirit is called The Spirit of God is called the Spirit, the Spirit of Jehovah, the Spirit of the Lord God, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of His Son, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of burning, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit of promise, the Spirit of truth the spirit of life, the oil of gladness, the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory, the eternal spirit, the Holy Ghost, the helper, and the comforter. All of those names of the Holy Spirit of God, and He is God. Amen? Trying to help us to understand that there is one God. This Spirit is God, just as the Father is God, just as the Son is God. We believe in one God, and we believe that God is three. Well, how do you believe that? We believe that God is three in one. That's how we believe it. One of the hardest subjects to to preach on is the Trinity, the triune God. Most preachers just don't do it. Um. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I ought to be like Brother Elric of the 12th. He was a 12th century monk who, after badly botching a sermon on the Holy Trinity, took a vow of silence for the rest of his life. (laughs) Maybe that'd be a good thing for me to do. Nevertheless, I'm going to attempt to bring this message to a close by showing you from the Bible how our one God is three in one. Here's some verses requiring God to be three in one. Matthew 3, 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Look at there. Three in one, right there in one spot. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit right there at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew 28 and 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not just one, 
but all three. Baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. The one true and living God is three distinct persons or personalities, yet one God. Dr. Henry Morris, a world-renowned scientist, held that the entire universe is Trinitarian by design. The universe consists of three things, matter, space, and time. Take away any one of these and the universe would cease to be. It would cease to exist. But within each of these, each of these are Trinitarian. For instance, matter equals mass plus energy plus motion. It's three in one. Space equals length plus height plus breadth. It is three in one. Time is past present, and future. Three in one. All the universe is Trinitarian. And that adds even more to Psalm 19.1, which says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In Luke chapter 3, at the baptism of Jesus, as the Son was being baptized, we've mentioned, the Father spoke from heaven, the Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, all one God, but clearly three manifestations. In John 14, 16, the son says, pray to the father and to, to send another comforter. And the answer is given in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, the Bible draws the clearest possible distinction between the Holy Spirit and the father and the son, yet all of them are one God and they're all given the position of being God. They are separate personalities having mutual relations to one another, acting upon one another, and speaking of one another. They are three and they are one. They are three in, that's the math of heaven. They are three in one. That's the way it works, Holly. What does all this mean to you and me? Well, first of all, it should remove any presumptions about running our lives apart from the leadership of the triune God. Well, it's my life, and I'm just, I'm trying to decide who I am. You, I'll tell you who you are. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And the great, majestic God made you who you are and who you're supposed to be. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins that you might be saved from those sinful tendencies in your life and the sin that comes with your birth. We need Jesus every hour. We need the Father every hour. We need the Spirit every hour. God holds the worlds together and He holds our lives together. If any of us are dealing with a care or a need in our life today, God should be the first consideration, not the last consideration. It means that we will someday answer to this complicated, yet accessible and loving God. I wouldn't for a moment try to make God simple to you, but I will tell you simply this, that you can go to the Lord uh, God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You have access to the throne. You can go to Him 
the best way to be ready to answer to him then is to answer to him now. You have to ask yourself, all right, first of all, has my soul answered to him? Have I put myself in a position of humbling myself before God and asking God, Jesus Christ, to be my personal Savior and Lord, putting my trust in Him. Have I done that? Well, that's the beginning of answering to God, coming to a a basis of understanding that you answer to a true and living God. It is our privilege to be considered by Him and blessed by His good hand. The psalmist said in Psalm 8 and verse 3, When I look to your, <clears throat> at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Consider the greatness and the goodness of God, his person and his majesty. Our God is an awesome God. And today, as you consider your life, you consider your soul, you consider who you are before God. Have you bowed your knee before Him and received Him as your Savior, as forgiveness of your sin? Let me ask you this. Have you submitted yourself to His Lordship in your life? Have you come to the place of saying, you know what, God... You are the eternal, the everlasting, (coughs) excuse me, the eternal, (coughs) the everlasting God, and I submit myself to you. Have you done that? Do you live in submission to God? Is your path a walk in submission to God? God is an awesome God. Bow before him. Submit to him. Live a yielded life to him. You know what? Your life will be better. It'll be more fulfilled. And one day, when you step into the presence of God, you will acknowledge before your eyes what you have been acknowledging in your heart for all of your life, that your God is an awesome God.